Hello. Hey. Welcome to Ergo. What's up? I'm Kiss. I'm Damon. And I almost said I'm Damon. You know, this is one of those days of, of mixed and mashed identities. <laughs> Damon, three or four times today, has been saying that he is the opposite person. And then I almost <laughs> like internalized that and took it for myself. Um, but I am and remain Kiss. And what we do here and remain doing is showcasing the folks reshaping the culture of our city for the more equitable and creative. We have a very, very special guest uh, on today's episode, the illustrious mayoral candidate, Amara Enyad. Uh, but first, a couple community announcements. You got anything, Dame? Uh, nope. Shout out to the community. <laughs> As always. <laughs> um, today, that's September 13th, is the book release for Ergo Lam Jose Olivares' new collection, Citizen Illegal. That is at 6 p.m. at the National Museum of Mexican Art. Also, tonight is the first in a series of events called Salsa and Sala that they're doing at Free Street's uh, Storyfront and Back of the Yards, where Ergo Lam Ricky Gambo's play was up. Um, this is going to be comedy and musical performances and talks and all kinds of stuff happening between now and the end of the year. The first event is tonight, Thursday night at 7 p.m. And then on Saturday at Seat Lalene Gallery in Pilsen is an exhibition of the Hovazi. It's Mexican Invasion Day, uh, which falls on Mexican Independence Day. That's going to be a great show. And then next Tuesday is the Rally to End Money Bail. Um, they just put out a great video over at the Bond Fund um, talking a little bit about Cook County and why their work is important basically so if you have folks who don't know what they do share that video with them um, and then get everybody out at the thompson center on tuesday the 18th at 10 a.m to end money bail that's one that's a good one that was a good announcement yeah, yeah, yeah. do you like how i announced it or you like what i was announcing? i like what you i second that announcement that is something that i am i am for being announced you are now on I the am, record we are sponsors of that so i'm for <laughs> <laughs> that's uh that's all we got find out more about amara and his run for mayor at her website uh we'll be sure to share all of that and uh subscribe to us on your podcast app write us a review please if you like us uh, let us know that you like us give us some some positive reinforcement we're all for the affirmation here damon runs on positive reinforcement that's all so i need uh and without further ado let's get into it with amara and yeah yeah ready to go yep Oh, that's your beard I'm hearing. Oh. That's okay. I like the beard. It's a good beard. Yeah. Oh, the audio sounds of the beard. I'm going to put that in a song. Just yes. Like how, like how Wayne would like start with the lighter. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Now you know what you're for. Yes. Hello. Yo. Welcome to Ergo. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I'm Kiss. You are. I'm Damon. And uh, we are very excited to be here with a very... Uh, special guest. She is a many thing doing person mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and she's doing one particular thing these days and we're excited to talk about that and more. Amara Enya's here. <laughs> we make our own sound effects. Oh, I love it. I love it. Do you have a go-to animal sound effect that if like there was one queued up for you, you would want us to bring? Uh, I don't know. Whatever the sound the Black Panther makes, mm. that's the sound that I would do. <laughs> That sounds about right. Just a billion, <laughs> that was good. just a billion that dollars. That was, that was good. I was that was actually good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just surprised myself. With that one. <laughs> so we always <laughs> we always like to start the show the uh, the same way, which is with a two part question. In this time, this moment, this season, however you define that, uh, how is the world treating you, and how are you treating the world? 
Well, in this time, the world is treating me as the world treats everybody. I think um, I'm here, I'm living, uh, just trying to make it work from day to day. And you take the good with the bad, you take the highs with the lows, and you keep pressing forward. I think how I'm treating the world is how I always try to treat the world, which is to be light. Hmm. And however I can be light in whatever capacity, small or big, that's what I try to do. Mm-hmm. Do you mean light like Not a heavy. shining light or like a light footprint? <laughs> Actually, perhaps both. Mm. Yes, both. We're already extending yes. metaphors. It means yes. we're something good. Yeah. So, one, good to see you. Yes. Thank you for having us here. Thank no, no. We're having you. Oh, I'm Thank thankful you for, for you guys. Yes. <laughs> you here. We've all been had. <laughs> <laughs> but um I'm I'm excited to have this conversation because this is kind of like unique territory for us. Because you are a person, we have this like imaginary list of people we want to talk to. And you have been on it independently, just like as who you are wow. for a while. Um, but now you are also a political candidate. And so like this is exciting. <laughs> And a good challenge because we haven't really crossed into this territory of like somebody who's running for active office. Um, but we're really, we, I'm really excited um, outside of the host of this show, but just as a person active in this city, uh, that, that you are out here um, and, and that you are, are presenting a politic and a platform uh, that needs to be heard in the ma- like the mainstream political sphere. So I'm excited. I'm excited for this time in the country because there's like a wave uh, of, I think, n- a new politic or new kind of like progressive. Folks. A wave of political weirdos. Yeah, yeah. But there's a, <laughs> like there's been a lot of, um, particularly black women throughout the country um, that that are, are, are coming in positions of power. So I, I I am excited to like be trying to help push you. Um, in, in that windstorm that's coming. So that wasn't a question. That was just to, to warm us up a little bit. I'm yes. happy to have you here. I'm glad to be here, man. Glad to be here. So so in this in this mode of running around, whether it's press or other announcements or, or everything, like what um what feels different this time around? Because a few years back you were you were running a, a similar race in some ways. So so what feels different this time? The whole thing feels different. And I was sharing this earlier. Um it definitely feels different and it's hard to put into words what that looks like, but I know what it feels like. Um, the first time that I ran was uh, the first time running for office ever. Um, I had never held political office or run for political office before. And so there was this unknown factor. What I knew in my heart was that this is what I was supposed to do. And I felt um, a sense of responsibility because of what I saw happening in the city. So I knew that, but there was an unknown factor about what it looks like to run and to run for mayor, to run for mayor of Chicago, to be a black woman living on the west side of Chicago who had never held office running for mayor of Chicago. Um, This time, there's two things. One, I feel very steady about what this is. It feels like the continuation of something that was started four years ago. there's something about when you do something. So, for example, you put your hand on a hot stove. If you don't know that it's hot, okay, you yank your hand back. You know that pain. So the next time, it's like you're thinking twice. Like, I'm not going to put my hand there. And so this is sort of like that. Like, I've done it and I, I've experienced it. And going in the second time, knowing what that first experience was like, mm-hmm. um, especially knowing how challenging it was, 
one would think that I would be like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to touch that again. Yeah. <laughs> the, to the rational person, right? But I think for me, I, I actually Get feel... Yeah, exactly. Get an oven miss something. But I actually feel even more a sense of determination and that this is the right thing. This is the mm-hmm. necessary thing. And so I feel very committed and very steady about this, this, about it this time. What are some ways that you're not touching the stove this time? Things that you would that you did last time that you're trying to not put your fingers on? Yeah, well, there, so there were some hard lessons learned, just some logistical, just yeah. this is what's necessary in campaigning, right? So the first time we came out and, you know, it's about money and name recognition and getting your name out there. And so we had, there was just some infrastructure that we needed to have in place that we didn't have enough of the first time. So for example, having enough fundraising infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, until we change campaign finance rules, you will always be at a disadvantage with a well-funded candidate, especially a candidate that is very tied into the corporate sector. So we were coming in essentially starting from ground zero. And so because I was not a major public figure before, I essentially had to try to get my name out there and raise money and convince folks who four years ago, this whole anti-establishment sentiment was not what it was. It was like, could you even challenge a sitting mayor? Like that was actually a question. Hmm. So the idea of someone donating their money to this candidate who seemingly came out of nowhere and is challenging Rahm, it was was a hard sell when we talk about fundraising. And so... This time around, it's learning that lesson about needing to have the kind of fundraising infrastructure. It was also about just the regular how, I mean, Chicago politics is a different kind of thing. <laughs> um, there's, it, this, can, you break, can you break that down? <laughs> so, like, that's, a, that's a phrase, right? Like, Chicago politics. Yes. And that, that represents something. And it has a very negative connotation. A very negative right? connotation. And so you're in the belly of the beast and you're seeing what that really means uh, for the layman or for those who may be politically minded. Can you like... Reveal what's behind the curtain a little bit, yes. or even just a couple examples of what's behind, you like the, snitch on the, the, weird, <laughs> like the, no the weird mechanisms <laughs> that you're encountering. Well, I mean, it, I would say it's sort of like so. I, I guess I find myself in the belly of the beast often. So when I, I worked in government, I worked in the mayor's office in the daily administration specifically because I wanted to understand who's making these decisions, what is going on, why is there such a disconnect? Um, And so I saw a lot of things that were stereotypes about Chicago politics from that vantage point that actually were confirmed to me and affirmed that things needed to change. If I wasn't already radicalized when I went to work in, in City Hall, I was even more radicalized when I left. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with Chicago politics. To be a person who values integrity and who um, is not, who can't, who's very grounded in a certain set of principles. And there's no amount of money that you could throw at me that will make me deviate from these principles and these values. Well, we have a very large check outside. (laughs) Folks, bring it in. (laughs) Like a physically large show check. (laughs) I had to be like, no, thank you. Um, But to have that constitution and to be involved in a, a politics that is very brutal, it's very bare knuckles. It's about, you know, dirty tactics and sneaky tactics. First time I ran, a lot of things happened that people didn't even know about. Um, generally, our campaign office was destroyed, mm. destroyed. Like physically uh, destroyed? Physically destroyed. 
tens of thousands of dollars worth of damage the week before petitions were due. <laughs> petitions ripped up. This is like some um, like Capone era. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking that for me, little old me, just doing my thing that nobody believed in or that the the naysayers didn't believe in, why would that have to even be a part of the equation, mm-hmm. right? Um, I, there were times when I wasn't staying, I couldn't stay in my neighborhood mm-hmm. because of, you know, surveillance and things that I would come across. And, mm-hmm. you know, so I there was a, there's a whole side of this that for those who who would think that this is some sort of vanity thing or some sort of, well, I just want to get my name out there. No, this was, there's, there's a sacrifice mm-hmm. that is required when you put yourself in a position to be in this kind of public space, but also not just to be public, but to challenge right. existing systems and to challenge them seriously. Mm-hmm. This yeah. isn't to make a point. This right. is actually to challenge these systems with the notion that we can actually change them into what reflects more of our values. Yeah, I, I think about... You know, as now Ram announcing he's not running again. You know, again, I'm not, I'm a relative newcomer to Chicago. I've been here four years, but you hear stories and you hear all the the myth and the legend. And I'm curious, like, and you also don't have to answer this. Which mechanism do you think, like, which machine is more harmful? The like old school cronyism daily machine, or the like corporatist neoliberal Ram machine? Because it seems like. Daily is getting some of that like George W. Bush treatment. Yeah, the sanitization. Yeah. Now that like Trump is so yes. ridiculous, it's like, oh, look at the we miss the old good guy. Yes. But I, I like I miss a friendly warmonger. <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, but that phenomenon is so true. Mm-hmm. They are both. They both have. They both are negative, <laughs> just in different ways mm-hmm. and for different times. At the time with the Daily Machine, whether father or son, it was still detrimental. We had a brief moment in history with Harold Washington that was able to break that up a little bit. But we saw the perpetuation of all the social ills that we see now. It stems from that. Mm -hmm. What is insidious about the current corporate neoliberal agenda is, number one, now it's tied globally. So I always say Chicago is just a microcosm of a global phenomenon, a philosophy that that is about the privatization of the public, the destruction of the public, whether it's public goods, public assets, or people, and this hyper-capitalism that is actually destroying communities around the world. That's what Chicago represents right now under this mayor. Mm -hmm. Under two terms of this mayor, it has actually accelerated a lot of the issues that existed under previous administrations. But the rate at which we've seen, I've seen, how this has harmed communities, how it has harmed individuals and families, it is alarming. But it is, but that is the hallmark of this current neoliberal philosophy that governs all of our elected officials. It governs our politics, and it's and we're living right in to me ground zero here in Chicago. Yeah, and they don't even have the capability to build something, right? So they had to like, as we see everywhere, they might be able to build a skyscraper, but the building of a system they can kind of only take over what exists already. Right. I think about it, Vegas is always the example that comes to mind is like, I'm not a Vegas fan, but at least some people like built something from the ground up. And then once it was big, like then that's when MGM and all these companies come in and right. buy the whole thing. It used to be there was a person who made that thing the same way, like say what you will. And many of it, much of it is negative about that daily machine, but like it, it actually made this for better or worse, mm-hmm. as opposed to just leeching off Extracting. of it. Extracting. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm I wanna I wanna I wanna hear your projections, right? So let's let's say you've already won, right? Um 
and and I think we can like have a uh, an agreeable analysis of how our systems are harmful, right? And I, I I commend you for taking a stand in the public sphere of like we're gonna transform this or we're gonna at least oppose these current patterns. What 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 do you really see as the the methodology for like new system building, right? Because we know like neoliberalism is a is a bad ideology, but it can become a buzzword, right? And so like in the technical, what are some if the power is already yours, what what are some steps we should take? Well, so th- this is part part of why the mayoral seat is so important because of the power of the executive, mm-hmm. which is the power to actually change policy and change law in a very short amount of time. There's an immediacy to having that power here in the city of Chicago. And unfortunately, it's been used more so to our detriment than to our benefit. But that is what is so that is why there's such an urgency about this particular election. Hmm. For me, a lot of the things that I talk about on my platform are things that we can actually do. So it's about transformative policies that can actually change the course of the way things have been going. So if we look at, for example, the economy, I'm very much about empowering people to build their own wealth so they can be self-sufficient, right? And so for me, that looks at, it, it's about looking at generational wealth, particularly in communities that have been disinvested for decades, the loss of generational wealth, the loss of individual wealth, which equals the loss of political power, the loss of economic power is all connected. So thinking about the current system, which is very heavy on corporations, attracting corporations here, giving them all kinds of tax breaks so we don't even benefit from their revenue. It's about how do we flip that paradigm to actually empower people to become owners in their own communities. Mm -hmm. And so cooperative economics is a huge part of my platform. It is about owning in your community, owning collectively, pooling our resources so that we actually can have a say in how our communities change and we can build our own community and generational wealth across the city. Mm-hmm. That's something that can be done and not to get too technical, but if we went down into the Department of Planning and Economic Development, there's the Business Affairs and Consumer Protection Department that deals with small businesses. We can actually outline policy to create what I would do, which is a seed fund to seed the startup of cooperative enterprises across the city of Chicago mm, to provide incentives for individuals that say, we want to start a co-op in our community. Bang, bang. Here's an incentive. Go ahead. We'll provide the technical assistance for you to do that. That can be done Boom. The next day. (laughs) (laughs) So those kinds of ideas, I'm very much about, and I work nationally on this issue of having a public bank in Chicago. Mm -hmm. When you typically think of a bank, you think of your traditional financial institutions, Wall Street banks, that are very much about allegiance to shareholders and profit. That is Mm -hmm. always their allegiance. That is always their bottom line. A public bank the sole responsibility of a public bank is to support and grow the local economy. And so it is capitalized by tax dollars, which means tax dollars support it. And all it does is support the growth of the economy. So small business loans for the community, home loans, the city can pay its own for its own infrastructure projects instead of paying billions of dollars to these traditional financial institutions that will charge you hundreds of millions in right. fees. And then interest on... Precisely. Yeah. Now we're recirculating that money back into our coffers so we actually have revenue to do things like support economic development elsewhere, not just in the central business district, but elsewhere in the neighborhoods. We'll have revenue to cover our operational costs so that we're not paying, borrowing money to pay for day-to-day expenses. That just does it. That's not good fiscal practice. That can be done. We can start a public bank in Chicago by ordinance. It doesn't require uh, 
20 years. It doesn't require a massive infusion of new revenue. We can actually start that immediately. Mm -hmm. So these are the kind of transformative ideas that actually move us in the right direction, in a better direction. And that is what is required if we're going to move out of the quagmire that we have from the current administration. I have a two-part question. Thank you. You just... You just did that. So shout out, <laughs> shout out to that. So, from that, right? I, I'm wondering if this is more of a challenge or an opportunity for you. I'm sure you're going to spin it positively. <laughs> be the pessimist that I am. But the the um we're fair and balanced. The, the, yes. The very to to me the very like straightforward models that you are proposing, um, are unfortunately like beyond our current consciousness as a society, right? So, like, as opposed to, I think, a more traditional or more centrist politician um, who just has to, like, what's the word, propagate? Like, you just have to say it. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of education that's required for people to even understand the problem and understand the value and the potential solution. Um, And so is that... Is that difficult at all? Like, instead of just saying, like, you know, it's like you can't just show up and say free pizza and, <laughs> <laughs> and like, extra long recess. Yeah. Like you have to, like, really break down something that's so, so ingrained. To be honest, yeah. that might work. <laughs> if you told every co- that, that every company has to provide free pizza and a recess, I think yeah. that would do Landslide it. victory. Landslide <laughs> victory. But, but do you get what I'm saying? Like, it's, yeah. it's, 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 I'm sure it's exciting, but is that difficult ever to, like, have to, like, be a teacher in 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 this in in this role, yes, it's very much a challenge, um, and it's been it's something that you have to be committed to. So I've been doing this work for years. Um, I've been working on this public bank issue for several years, mm-hmm. proselytizing about it. It has finally gotten onto the awareness to a certain extent where it's really catching on. But other places around the country are doing it, right? Mm-hmm. So the governor-elect of New Jersey, this was the key part of his platform, right? So they're doing it elsewhere. It's the Chicago has this ceiling because there's such a commitment to the Chicago way and right. doing things how they've always been done. So I've always been, my orientation has always been that every skill, every gift, every talent, and the knowledge that I have is supposed to be used in service of people. That's how I was raised. That's how myself, my five other siblings, we were all raised with that sense. So the knowledge is not to be held in. It's supposed to be shared to empower people to make decisions for themselves, right? So I, one thing that I do every year, I would read every last page of the budget. It's 500 or so pages for the city of Chicago. That makes one person in the city of Chicago who reads the entire budget. <laughs> I know, I know. And I actually enjoy that, um, which is strange to some people. But the point is to do the analysis, and I do this every year, to do be able to do a trend analysis so that we know how the money is being spent, mm-hmm. where it's being spent. Now, after I do that, what I would do is a series of community meetings mm-hmm. I would in any neighborhood and show people in the budget, here's where the money is being spent. Here's how much is being spent on public safety. Here's how much is being allocated in community development block grants. Here's what you should be getting. Here's what you could be asking for that you're not getting because nobody's asking because no one has actually looked at the budget. And the people who represent you haven't done that. So for me, I do that work for the purposes of telling other people and sharing that information with other people so that they can be empowered to understand how to advocate for themselves. I see it as a responsibility. On this cooperative piece, I've been talking about it for years. There was a time when people would, oh, that's that that chick that's the communist yeah, talking about that. <laughs> yeah. And so, but you take those hits because when you believe it, mm-hmm. you're going to keep pushing it. And now we've reached a tipping point where it's actually on the radar. Um, so there's the, the teaching component is necessary to make sure that the public has the information that they need to understand when we're, when we're proposing something for the city, 
here's the mechanics of it. Here's why it makes sense. I see that as my responsibility. Anybody can come in, and many of them do, and spot off talking points, empty slogans. Now the end thing uh, is to, oh, I'm the progressive. Okay, on what? <laughs> like, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. What's your track record, right? right? If you haven't been committed to doing the work, then I can't imagine that you'd be committed to doing the work after when you get you elected. Power, yeah. Even if you wanted to, you don't even know how. Exactly. So, so, with, can, so with that teaching that you're doing, I think what I'm hearing at the core and like even beyond, I think, your campaign, I think it's national and global, the, 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 the tension and the strain and the public-private dichotomy or that binary. And I think that's, even though it sounds really basic, can you just like break down what is public and what is private and how they have been in conflict, at least since, like, 79. Well, probably longer than that, but, like, it's <laughs> yeah. been... That's, it's when, some, that's when the war started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, the, so the public, we don't... I don't think that we talk enough about the public and what the public is. Right. To me, the public is about shared humanity. The public is that shared space, the fact that we live in relationship to each other, mm-hmm. um, the fact that we occupy this geographic entity that is called Chicago, the fact that we have to live with each other and we have to find some way to make it work. So this notion of the public good, to me, is the principle that undergirds how we implement policies and who they affect. The problem with privatization is that it is extractive. It is based on this notion of... Um, a very individualistic philosophy Mm -hmm. that doesn't care that we have to make this work somehow together. If we are committed to the public, it means that we have to do things that are in the interest of the public. Like education, that's Mm -hmm. a public good. It is actually to our benefit if every child has access to a quality education. it shouldn't be a a, a negative connotation. Like, oh, you went to public school. Exactly. That's like an American thing now. Like, don't don't blame me. I went to public school. Yes. And you see that how those narratives Mm -hmm. are very powerful. Public sector employees are the next in the list to be demonized. If you're a public sector employee, somehow you're leeching off of something, Mm -hmm. when these are the people that teach our kids, that deliver our mail, that work in our companies, that work in government, like, there's, if we don't see the value of the public, we will allow it to become privatized, and that's precisely what's happened. The private sector has allegiance to profit. Right. That is diametrically opposed to the interest of the public, which is supposed to be for the benefit, the benefit for the most, for the most people, Right. right? When the allegiance is to profit... Everything that they do is to maximize profit. Right. People become a not, they're not humans. Mm-hmm. Well, they the are hour, widgets. And who the hour is changed, right? You're saying like this is ours, then that hour is their shareholders, is the people whose interests they're working on behalf exactly. of. Exactly. Um, so for you in this conversation, I mean, the, and I think that hour, that idea of renaming who your hour is, is something that is really important in Chicago because even going back to the, an old machine that was more within the public sphere that hour was also still defined in terms of who benefited and who was being extracted from. Yes. So it's kind of that you, you talked about like Chicago as a, as a microcosm, but it's also a macrocosm of what was happening, you know, block by block, neighborhood by neighborhood around housing and resource distribution and all that. So do you think there are lessons to be learned from the way people uh, have fought <laughs> basically like distri- discriminatory policies on a micro level that can be applied to how we challenge privatization on a public level? I think that's why this this particular electoral cycle is so important because we 
Chicago exports its policy around the country right. and around the world. Mm-hmm. So when we started privatizing assets, it was the in thing. Everyone started to copy it before we we even had a full understanding of how detrimental it was. Yeah. So you sold off your parking meters. Everyone else sold their parking meters. You sell your skyway. Everyone else is looking. People, cities were actually looking for what they could grab to sell off to the private sector. Years later, as parking has become unaffordable, as housing has become unaffordable, as schools have become... Now people are... And and cities are still broke, Mm -hmm. right? Right. So there was no benefit. Now everyone is throwing their hands up wondering why we have such a fiscal crisis in so many cities. So the fact that Chicago exports whatever we do is... It means that's why this is so critical. Because if we change direction and we start to actually adopt policies that put the public first and put the people first... Other cities will follow. And that's why this is it's the epicenter of politics and policy in the country. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting day to be talking about that for for kind of two reasons. I mean, one, it's 9-11 when we're recording, but also it's the either yesterday or today is the anniversary of the coup in Chile. You know, kind of today is Mm -hmm. kind of coordinated, you know, out of the Chicago School of Policy and Economics. And then, you know, it's not just it's tried out here and then exported. It's that it's exported kind of like crystallized and then brought back and implemented here, and then this like refined, polished version is then spread to Cincinnati and Columbus yes. and all these other cities. Yes. Um, so, all of these things known, uh, why the hell would you want to do this job? <laughs> it just sounds like a crappy job. I'm, I'm <laughs> from a personal perspective, <laughs> and I say that not just like it's hard. It's, you're not going to get a lot of sleep, but. In the like, you have done so many things and you know that inequity can be addressed from so many different directions. So this one in particular, which comes with its unique set of headaches and challenges, why the hell do that? Yes, <laughs> I get that question a lot. Um, I'm, I'm a problem solver just naturally. I'm, I've just, I have an inclination to solving problems. And so the challenge is something that I gravitate toward. Mm-hmm. Um, what I also recognizes that my my conditioning and my background and my training is well suited for this work even though that wasn't the intent Mm. so when I was coming up I did a lot of different degrees and I have a lot of different different areas of policy and I always got this pushback you know why are you doing so many different things why don't you just do one thing and um, and I was always resistant to that. What are some of those things? What are some of those so things? I did. So I did an undergrad. I did journalism. I did broadcast. I did the degree program broadcast and in print. This is a time when they were two. They were separate. Mm-hmm. I did the bachelor's in political science, and I had history and philosophy were my subject areas. I did the master's in education. I went to law school, uh, and I got my PhD in education policy. Um, when I started working in government, I was working in every area, housing, ec- a lot of economic development work, um, fiscal policy. I do a lot of municipal finance work, housing, food security. I was doing a lot of work in urban agriculture, um, obviously education, public safety. So I've literally worked pretty deeply in almost every policy area hmm. locally and internationally. And for many people, it was it was as though it was like, well, why don't you just do one thing? Well, now looking at this, the issues that the city is facing, you have to really have a complex understanding of all of these systems and policy areas if we're going to address the challenges that we face. Right. You can't just do education because education is tied to housing, which is tied to the economy. You can't just do public safety because that's tied to public health. Right. Even though we never talk about that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so being a systems thinker and having this broad 
and deep experience actually is well suited for the the morass now in Chicago um, at all levels. Yeah. And you have to have that perspective if we're going to address all of these issues that we're facing. Yeah. So, you know, you're talking about all these systems working hand in hand and we're like probably our unofficial tagline and that we just say all the time that I try to keep in mind is that radical means to the root, right? So we're talking about this web of systems that are interwoven, but let's get to the center of the web. For you, in your understanding, what do you think is, what are a couple things that are at the root of the, 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 the challenges that these systems create? Well, it's the fact that systems are designed to be self-perpetuating. And so we have a system in place that is perpetuated by actors that have adopted the philosophy of that system, mm-hmm. which is why changing leadership at the top is absolutely essential because there's a culture. There's a culture that has been allowed to proliferate for decades. That culture, um, that culture is about cronyism. It is about corruption. It rewards corruption. It rewards maintaining a status quo even as communities are destroyed. Hmm. When you change the individuals that have been attracted to that culture, you can then change the system. So if we have leadership that actually reflects the values that we talk about, equity, justice, um, the human potential and the right that we have to imagine and create our own realities— If you have that kind of leadership, it creates a culture that then attracts its like. Mm -hmm. The problem in Chicago with the so-called Chicago way is that we have a culture that prioritizes corruption and all these other negative things, and you attract individuals who are okay with that. So at every level, whether it's your mayor, your alderman, and whomever else, they have to adopt some of that culture in order to stay within that system, which is why having individuals who've gone through that system, you will not have the kind of change that needs to happen. Because if they've gone through that system, they've adopted some of the philosophy. And if they adopted the philosophy, they will perpetuate that in real terms in ways that will affect us. So if anything is Mm -hmm. to change, it requires a change in the people who are in those positions because it needs a change of philosophy to then change the culture. That is what will transform the city. Nothing less will do. My dad always told me, he always used to tell me, and he, he, was, um, he was involved in the civil war in Nigeria, against Nigeria, the Biafra war. Mm. And it was because of this uh, genocide that was taking place and all this stuff happening in Nigeria at the time. And he always said revolutions never happen from within the status quo. Anything that is part of the status quo, it, it by its very nature will not revolutionize anything or change anything because it's designed to perpetuate itself. How do you think they got the quo? <laughs> <laughs> they had the status. I mean, you got hit the quo. quo yeah. the hit that quo. I mean, Sounds like a new real. dance move. <laughs> hit the quo. That's, that's dope. But that's real. Um, I want to. I want to know a lot more about that, but I also want to stay where you are, real quick, about change in the the people who are in the positions of power in order to then change the structures of power. Um, so regardless of the results, we know we're going to have a big change. Um, as Rahm Emanuel announced that he would not be running for re-election, which um, was not as much as a shock for me. I thought he was going to announce that a, a, a while ago, but then it looked like he was like going to go with it. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was a surprise, not quite a shocking surprise, uh, to folks kind of like on the ground strategizing. Um, for you, was it a big shock? And did it like, 
did you have a bunch of one-liners and did you have a bunch of fire ready to roast them that you now got to like retool? And it's like recalibrate? it's like on Smack DVD when if they like switched the opposite the yeah, opponent at the end, you're like, Shit, I gotta oh, throw man, the whole folder out. Yeah. Battle battle ten brother blues <laughs> instead of the guy. I, I researched his mom. I know about his his brother. That, I know he went to Cranbrook. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where they went to high school at all. I got no punchlines for these kids. Yeah. What's up? So, so yeah, was that was that a big shift in terms of your strategy and how you were going into it? It actually, yes, it actually was not. It required pretty much no shift in our strategy. We have have always been the campaign of ideas and the campaign of solutions and the campaign of here's what we can do, here's what we can create to better our circumstances in this city. So we always, you know, Ron was he was just a thing that was there. Mm-hmm. He is not, for me, he had never been the focus because he simply represents a failed philosophy, mm-hmm. in my view. Mm-hmm. That's all he is. So our energy was never on him. It was on the next. And our campaign has always represented the next, the future, mm-hmm. what we can do, the possibilities, the optimism, the commitment to doing the work to build the kind of city that we want and that we deserve. So when he announced that he wasn't running, I... You know, I just said, oh, I wish he'd said that four years ago when uh, instead of giving us another, you know, four more years of of mess that we have to clean up. But it didn't change our strategy very much because we were always about ideas and solutions and the vision. We always centered people. And so uh, some of these other campaigns, you know, he's the the dart, the dartboard or whatever Mm -hmm. that you can. mm, That's not what we're about. We don't you know, he doesn't get our energy. You don't want this smoke. He man, he done. That's why he ain't running it. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know if that's the case, but he did announce exactly a week after we uh, yeah. launched our campaign that he was not running. Look, so. bravado and braggadocio do not need to be rooted in truth. <laughs> if there's one thing that we know, it's that you can say that he doesn't want he that doesn't, smoke. He doesn't want smoke. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So with the, you, you, you articulate a lot of things that 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 echo things that I've said. So I, I did a lot of saying like the it's not the mayor, it's not Rom's the problem. It's the mayor's office. And so, you know, I'm I, I'm interested in hearing like how even that executive position can be reshaped. But I think even before that, something that we need to talk a lot about in this mayoral race is city council and the older persons of the city because they're really the um, older goofies of the yeah, city. The, <laughs> <laughs> they're really the you know the, the lifeblood and the the um the generals of the corruption and of the complacency and of the conservatism and of the upholding of the status quo. So how do you even like, again, we're projecting victory. Mm-hmm. Like that's, it's, it's funny cause that's the biggest fight, but it's almost like putting the, the big fight in the first round and then you got like 13 rounds of, of folks to go. Right. So what, what is your position or approach um, to, to, you know, our cities? design around wards and the fact that like the black caucus self-identifies as gangsters mm-hmm. <laughs> self-identifies mm-hmm. you know what I'm as they're on, as as, as the lead one is on his way to prison yeah literally mm-hmm. you're about to go to jail and you're joking about being a <laughs> political gangster right it's, you know it's it's you know never a dull moment i guess <laughs> i can say that never a dull moment this you know in addition to the mayoral seat it's city council like it has to be whole scale from top to bottom the city of chicago is supposed to be a strong council weak mayor system it has not been that since the brief time when Harold Washington, all of a sudden the council had all this backbone to resist everything that Harold Washington mm-hmm. wanted to do. If we have a strong city council, they're tasked with representing their constituents. So what happens is far too many aldermen 
represent the interests of the mayor to their constituents, when in fact they're supposed to represent the interests of their constituents to the mayor and to the mayor's office. So for me, one of the biggest tests for whether an alderman is going to be quality is whether they have any kind of commitment to building independent power in their ward. Hmm. If you have no interest in building independent power in your ward, whether it's an IPO or a neighborhood organization. What's an IPO, just so people know? An IPO is an independent political organization. By people, I mean me. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, so it's an independent political organization, an entity essentially that can hold your alderman accountable. Mm. If you don't have any interest in building independent and building civically engaged constituents, then I already know you're not about anything. Because if you do that right, you don't have to be beholden to the mayor or to anyone because they will give you cover. The people that in your neighborhood will give in your board will give you cover when there it comes to tough decisions that need to be made. Right now what we have is they have not built any of that. So they're beholden to the mayor or whomever is funding their campaigns. And so when it comes to hard votes that might be in their not in their good interests they end up going with those votes, such as a cop academy yeah. on the west side being touted as economic development. And if you went, I was at the city council meeting where they were standing up and vouching for this. We need jobs. We need, no, that's not the way that you do it. And in no other community would a cop academy be seen as economic development. And that's in your backyard, right? It's right in my backyard. So what are you, I mean, we, we've we've done some coverage and conversations around the campaign and all that, but let's... Let's go kind of a a little bit of a zoom back on it in, you know, West Garfield Park. uh, And we could even say Garfield Park as a whole. What are a couple of spaces if we know that a cop academy isn't what is needed? um, What are a couple of spaces, whether it's corners, buildings, ideas in that neighborhood that you look at that feel like they have potential to you? Oh, man. Man. Madison, between Hamlin, and all the way west. Mm -hmm. What about it? The fact that it looks the same as it did in 1968 is a problem. (laughs) There was a time when people would take their kids to the doctor there. You do your shopping there. You get your shoes shined there. You get a meal there. And what happened to the shoe shine industry? Man, that, that is an American tragedy right there. Now, there's something man. to blame Nike for <laughs> the sneakers. Although, I do have to give a shout out to Shine King over on Central Dope. in Austin. Oh, they sponsor us too. No, I'm kidding. Oh, that's what I say. Oh, for real? I'm just Mr. Out here Cole? With, with dull, I'm just out here with dull shoes. <laughs> yeah, but there was a time where it was, yeah. it had that feel yeah. like you went, you went with your family, you went on a Saturday, you went shopping, and the lack of investment on that corridor is evidence since the riots in 68 they have there's not been significant investment on that mm-hmm. corridor Chicago Avenue, the same thing, heading yeah. west from Cicero West, even from you could go from Pulaski all the way west, Chicago Avenue. Look at the density and the number of businesses on our commercial corridors. You can see the disinvestment. Part of that is actually it is it's it's exacerbated by the population decline. Right. You know, two hundred fifty fewer, two hundred fifty thousand fewer black folks in the city. Mm-hmm. There's an there is a there are ramifications to that. Yeah. Fewer people to be walking on the streets to shop at the local businesses, right? So there's a there's an exponential effect to the disinvestment in communities. For me, investment looks like identifying those quarters. I mean, we have some of the best infrastructure on the west side, right. some of the best housing stock, rivaling right. that in Oak Park, because I could put Austin next to Oak Park any day, Beautiful. and we still come out on top. Mm-hmm. 
East and West Garfield Park, the Greystones, unlike mm-hmm. anything in the city, mm-hmm. beautiful. We have major commercial corridors. We have access to the expressway. We have Garfield Park, Columbus Park, one of the most beautiful it's in the stunning, city, yeah, hands yeah. down. All of that exists. The value is there. The question is always, are the people that are there valued? Right. And so when that, the people aren't valued, that's when we see disinvestment. So that was going to bring me to my next impossible question, which is how do you, what are some ideas for how to enhance and build that development in a way that is not just for people who look like me showing up? Because, you know, you're along the train lines. It's a straight shot west from yes. Humboldt Park. Like it's, yes. they're, they're, they're planning. So what are some ways to think about development in a uh, decolonial context yeah yeah that's why i talk about this this ownership piece i talk about mm-hmm. you know the way to combat displacement you have to own your home own the land own the businesses have ownership of the institutions if you don't own the land the first question of community development is who owns the land right that's the most important question if you don't own the land you can't control what happens on the land so for me it's policies out of city hall that create opportunities for land ownership local land ownership yeah. for local home ownership if you can't afford to stay in your home you can't stay in the neighborhood you will get displaced as property taxes increase um, to be able to own businesses I talk about co-ops because if we own businesses we're vested in them right. now you have a stake in the community and you're actually building wealth generational wealth so that you can stay there even as the community changes mm-hmm. the city has to be committed to creating an economy that's inclusive where everyone can get access to jobs that can pay individual and family sustaining wages if I can't make enough money to live, then I can't afford to stay in the neighborhood as it changes, as things get more expensive. So for me, that goes beyond the $15 an hour minimum wage. Everybody's underpaid. Professors are underpaid. The nurses are underpaid. Teachers are underpaid. Aldermen are underpaid. No, I'm kidding. Well, they're not underpaid. <laughs> but everybody else, yeah, yeah. you know, they're underpaid. Either underpaid or you're stealing. If, well, uh, well, in, <laughs> in Chicago, the that's the, yeah. yes. So we have to get people to a place where they can afford to stay in their homes, even as the property taxes and the value cost of living right. is increasing. If we don't focus on that, you, what you'll see happen is things will be improving, property values will increase, and then wealthier populations that have more disposable income will begin to move out, move in. And everyone who can't afford will get pushed out. Yeah, I mean, it, this was when I asked the to the root question before. This is actually what how I often answer that is is just about who is willing to live next to whom, and like that is specifically you know all over the place, but specifically in Chicago when it comes like you can kind of trace almost every policy back to home ownership and housing segregation, mm-hmm. um, and that is something that uh, those are some old doozy. those are some old rules. Yeah. Segregation makes it easy to devalue people. Mm-hmm. Essentially, that's what it does. You get everyone that's not valuable, keep them in a particular place. Mm-hmm. Then it's very easy to divert resources over here to the more valued. Right. And then, you know, while ignoring the less valued. It's not going to accidentally make it to the, the unvalued person. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Not stumble across it. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. So, you know, to sum up, right, like on the, on the platform side, like I, I, I hear at basic just like a real investment into the public, into collectivity, right? So uh, a public bank, which I would love to break down more, but people should just Google that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, the, the co-ops and I think grants for that obviously boost in investment into education, right? So, so that, that, those are like the, the, the jewels I'm hearing in your crown. But I do want to get um, past your platform before we got to get out of here and get into, 
you know, you and your background a lot. So, I, you know, I've heard you mention your upbringing and your conditioning and like two or three glimpses. Yeah. And you started to tell us a very interesting story about dad. So just like, let's just break down mom and dad a little bit. And, oh, man. and <laughs> young Amara in these streets. <laughs> Out in these streets, man. Um, so I guess my, yeah, I mean, my, my parents are, um, they, you know, they, they came to this country so I guess my I'm part of a legacy of activism. Yeah. My great grandmother was uh, the woman who started what is called the Women's War in Nigeria, what is now Nigeria, in 19 I believe 1929. Uh, she started organizing in her village in um, the marketplace. In yes, like, it was it an like uprising a... against the British Empire because they were coming into villages trying to tax. Uh, the people who lived there. This mm-hmm. is the part of the colonial empire. Mm-hmm. And so they came to the village, Oloko, which is my dad's village. They came there and she refused to pay the tax. And mm-hmm. she said, this is not a just tax. You can't do this. She started organizing women uh, in the village and then in the next village and then in the next village. And it was thousands of women that they had organized against the British. Um, it was the first insurrection of its kind. Um, and this is back in 1929 that she was doing this. Shout so, out to great grandma. Man. That's our first great grandma shout out. <laughs> Usually we get like a shout out to moms. Yeah. Shout out to great grandma. Yes. What, what what's her name? Her, her name is Juan Yerua. Okay. Yeah. So Juan Yerua, she was the, the, the woman who started the women's war against the British. Mm. My parents, um, my dad fought in the Biafra War. It was a civil war in Nigeria. It was one of the most horrific wars. It's the reason why they started Doctors Without Borders. Mm. It was a war of attrition. Nigeria was being supported by the West, by the U.S., the British, the, the, um, the French. Essentially, all the powers that would never want to see an independent black African right. uh, state form um, because it was about resources for them. Mm-hmm. There was a genocide that was taking place against the Igbo people, so we're Igbo. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad at the time, he was in his 20s, early 20s. He was a brigadier general, I believe. And my mom was a nurse. She was a frontline nurse, so she would work with the soldiers at the front who were injured and near death and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And it was a war that was supposed to last for three days and they fought for three years. Mm. Um, when they started the war, they didn't know what the outcome was going to be. Um, but it was about these issues of justice and human rights and you have to stand up for what's right and you have to do that. You can't, it is a responsibility. And powerful. so, What does that mean a war is supposed to be three days? I've never heard a time frame put on a war yes. like that. How, yes, yes. Because they thought, so the, so Nigeria and the British and all their supporters thought that they would squelch this war as soon as it started. They thought it's the Igbo people. We were not, you know, we were the third of the large ethnic groups in Nigeria. We were the mm-hmm. smallest of the three. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they thought it would be stopped immediately. Okay, I get what you're we, saying. You know, you start it and then two days later it's over. We can move on. It wasn't like everyone put it on their calendar. Okay. Yeah, they <laughs> did. Like, all right, we got a blackout Thursday yeah. through Sunday. Get this war going. Yes. <laughs> Monday, get this get back to my right. <laughs> Put an away message up. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, no, it went, it extended for three years and it was, it showed the ingenuity of the Igbo people. I mean, they were making 
They were making weapons out of sticks. They were making their own medicines. This was a war of attrition where they were stopping food from coming into the country. Right. So mm-hmm. you have a whole generation of Igbo people who grew up with uh, kwashiorkor, which is uh, malnutrition. That was that the horrors of that war. Mm-hmm. But they fought for those many years because they believed in the principles of why they were fighting. And my dad tells the story of how you know he never surrendered. Like when it was over, and I'll never forget because he talks about how he led his men and how they walked at the end of the war, they walked back to his village because they wouldn't leave him. That's the kind of leader he was. He was the kind of person who, when he got the new boots and the new uniforms, he would send it to the men at the front and he would fight with his men at the front. So he wasn't the kind of person like, all right, y'all, mm-hmm. you know, report back what's happening. Like a, he would like be a long Exactly, <laughs> exactly. He would be right there with them. So when the, at the end of the war, he didn't, he never surrendered and the men wouldn't leave. So they walked all the way back to his, his village And he talks about that. And so even when they came to the United States, because obviously we didn't win the war and it was very difficult in Nigeria, my parents were active against the dictator that we had. We had a number of them. They were organizing in Chicago against the dictator. Mm -hmm. And so there was a point in the 90s where we actually couldn't go back to Nigeria for many years because they had executed nine individuals Um, a couple of poets, well-known poets that were executed. And my parents were organizing against these human rights violations. They were organizing other countries Mm -hmm. to install sanctions against the government. And they were doing this so much so that the government was sending people to our house. We were out in the suburbs at the time. We didn't know because we were young, but they were sending people, yes, to intimidate them for their organizing and for their actions against the government. So we couldn't go back home until after the dictator died and we still waited a couple of years and then we went back and visited. Hmm. But it's that kind of willingness to to do the right thing, these issues of speaking up for those who might not have their voices amplified for justice, for equity. We grew up with that. We're six kids. We all grew up with that. We grew up at the meetings, listening to them yelling into the phone on these long distance conversations (laughs) at four in the morning. Right. You know, yeah, that's how we came up. So that's a powerful lineage, but you you said that you did, you know, many years later have the chance to go back. And I'm curious in the context of the conversation we were having about privatization. uh, Displacement. Yeah. What are some parallels that you're seeing both in the way that uh, neoliberal policy is impacting Chicago and Nigeria and in the ways that people are resisting. So what are some lessons that folks here could learn from what's happening there and vice versa? I think it's recognizing the similarities in the struggle. So, you know, colonialism really did a number on the continent. I mean, this, this, this issue of privatization. Yeah, they, 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 that was quite a, quite a thing. Man. You <laughs> used the word doozy before? <laughs> that, was, that was a doozy right yes, there. Yes, yes. Re- it really was. It really was. So the issues are very, a very similar. <laughs> right, of many, of many. Sticky yeah. situation. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yes. But no, but that's, that's the thing. Like, there's such a similarity Issues of corruption, like that goes across the board. Whenever you have extractive policies that are driven by hypercapitalism, it leads to income inequality. It leads to an, a permanent underclass, right, that we're seeing both there and here. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the issues that we talk about here in Chicago are relevant back in Nigeria as well and elsewhere on the continent. Right. And it always gets back to the core of recognizing our shared humanity, right? So if we do that as a baseline, that's the start. 
this notion of collective and actually caring about each other and this idea of shared progress and that we have to share this space. Culturally, our our original culture was all about that. Talk about democracy, egalitarianism. That was right. our culture. Mm-hmm. We were about, we have this phrase that let the let the kite and the bird share the same branch. And mm-hmm. what that means mm-hmm. is live and let live. We have to be in this thing together. Mm-hmm. We're on the same branch. We have a vested interest in both of us being okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was how our society was ordered. Yeah. But if we moved away from that to this, let me get mine, good luck on getting yours, or it's all about the individualism, this rugged individualism, that's when you see things begin to break yeah. down. And sure. it's, it's interesting, sorry to cut you off then, but often the context of how, at least like the the exported picture of Nigeria is this like full of entrepreneurs, small business, like the most, you know, capitalistically industrious nation on the continent. And like that, that's the marker of its like growth or value is that it's participating in capitalism in a way that, you know, on an ownership level that isn't happening in other places. Um, But I wondered, you, you, you talked about those traditional models we're talking about having a, a singular mayor here and that executive. Are there other leadership models that you've learned about that existed for, you know, your family or other folks uh, in Nigeria that you've learned about that you think, you know, obviously are this isn't what's going to happen, but yes. are, would work a lot better than one person in charge, which is oh, really yes. silly to me. Yeah. So in Igbo culture, we have a saying, we don't have kings. So in English, that sort of translates to, and it's a very, it is the epitome of democracy. Mm -hmm. It is the epitome of democracy. Things are decided in a democratic way through conversation, through councils. So we have councils, councils of elders. We have the council of of men called the Umunna, and we have the council of women called the Umada. And when the men can't figure out what to do, they come to the women Mm -hmm. and take counsel from each other. So there's a balance. So... uh, a, a method of leadership that is where people are empowered, where there's no one person at the top making all the decisions, yeah. that to me is actually what real democracy is about. And even in the way our societies were ordered, if you think about free market economies, we had the original, go to any marketplace on the continent. That's a free market economy. Yeah. It's a barter, real free it's market, trade, yeah. yes. And it doesn't have that exploitative component, that extractive component that is prevalent here in this right. version of capitalism. And it doesn't determine all social needs exactly right? like we don't think that the market will figure Every, out everybody's everything. problems exactly exactly so those those models there's something to those models that that makes them legitimate the problem is we delegitimize those models because we because we don't value those cultures right. and we see them as somehow primitive or backwards but yet we adopt models where corruption is embedded in the very fabric of our political system and the very fabric of our of our economic system yeah. but we'll point to those other places and, and talk about how corrupt they are yeah. come to chicago yeah, exactly right. i see i see real parallel between like a you know imperialist western supported dictator and like the Black Caucus, right? Like it's, it, it is. <laughs> yes. it's pretty much the same yes. exact dynamic. Oh, man. Yes, yeah. like, it's the same. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. That's deep. <laughs> well, I'm glad we got at least to one point of deepness. I, I also know I don't want to take up. Uh, I want to be respectful of your time, so oh, yeah. I think it's important that we get to really oh, what we're all here oh, for. Wow, I, yeah. I got so man. We, it was such dense, rich political discourse that I, I almost forgot. So the Ergo listeners, they know what this is. Um, and you're, you're on a, a friendly hot seat right now. So, okay. th- so don't, don't worry. Uh, but the suspense is, is intentional. <laughs> um, it's a game that we like to play to end all of our, our conversations. Uh, you know, we're talking about public investment. 
We're talking about <laughs> we talk about you know anti-colonial lineages, and that's all very valuable. But this right here is the this cornerstone is of our work. Okay, this is what we do, and it's all about accountability. Um, there is a sect of the world that, at least in my twenty-five years on this planet, has run amok. And we shall stand for it no longer here at Ergo Radio. Not on my watch. Not on our watch. And those people are R&B singers. <laughs> so every week we invite our guests to start beef with an R&B singer. And why? Now we have Mayoral Kennedy 2019 edition Amara Inya beef with an R&B singer from any era. So that means from Motown on down, beef with an R&B singer. And why? Hmm. This beef with an R&B singer. Does it have to be like a negative beef? It does it, not have to. It can be from a place of love. It but. can be. We encourage antagonistic beef, but but you can have a loving <laughs> call-in beef. Yeah. You can call in instead of call Just out. so goddamn healing over here. You're not even willing. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Fine. Oh, man. I'm this interview's over. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Okay, R&B singers that I, would, that I might have beef with. And you can um, expand to other genres if that is a limiting helps. genre for you. Can I expand to other genres? Expand away, my okay. Friend. So there's so there's one beef, but it's not really a beef because I understand it. But I just wish do better. He would like come on with it. Do better, Jay Jay Electronica man. Oh. Jay, I need something from Jay. Okay, I've been yeah. I've had a better in tune with the infinite on repeat. Yeah, for like the last six months. Yeah, uh, I've had I. I need something from Jay. Yeah, man. In a time when there is a, I feel like there's a dearth of quality and like that real hip hop. There's yeah. space for him. There's man, there's a room for, for Jay and he, he, he just, just won't, mm. he won't come out. Man. We've know. made space, he won't take space. Oh, yeah. man. And in, on some level, it just makes perfect sense to me that you're a huge, like I feel like this conversation, <laughs> if we had him in here, we would have talked about 75% the same things. Oh, man. <laughs> and then 20, Probably. Less about <laughs> mayors, but more about you know, global. The global. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I that's think, my beef. It's with Jay. I love Jay. I want to see more. I want to hear more of Jay. You, you are I mean. you are a prime politician. Boy. <laughs> you, you, you make this beef really loving. I, you, I got my eye on you. <laughs> one, of the, this love. One, of the, one of the greatest accomplishments that I've seen of any organizing ever is that Iman got Jay Electronica to perform at their like oh, block man. party street festival last year. <laughs> oh, I think that's really like you can't Live Nation couldn't get him on the phone, but Amon got him on the phone. I know. That's good work. Good work, friends. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And just a shameless plug, Wu Tang was here last weekend. They were. Oh, at the breaks. I saw that. Yeah. Yes. How was that? Really oh man. Man, my so my sister went backstage. I'm sorry. Are you a member of Wu Tang Clan? Have man, I wish. <laughs> I wish. Man. I think all you have to be to be a member is just say I am a member of Wu Tang. It's like Tinkerbell and believing in fairies. Have you on stage? That's where the... we need the endorsement from. You oh, get that Wu Tang endorsement. We I should have got it. it. I should have got it over the weekend. That's how you end up mayor of New York though. Uh, it's a whole probably. different thing. <laughs> There's a Wu Tang contingency yeah. out here. Somehow there's just a Shaolin temple with your picture up somewhere <laughs> <laughs> in their administrative offices. Uh-uh. Thank you so much for coming and chopping it up with us. Appreciate Thank us. you. It, appreciate. Why do I keep doing that? Appreciate you. You just feel appreciated. I keep switching, yes. I keep yeah. switching the, it's the energy. I, it's man. the me, we. Yes. We all collectively. Yes. You know, 
connecting to my inner Igbo. I know yes, I got something. Of course somewhere. you do. I'm sure you do. <laughs> yes. You are I and I are you. Yes. Um, any plugs? Any where, where yeah, what, people follow What do you website? want people to be looking what, out what for? The, what are the things? What's Other the than giving you money, which they should do anyway. <laughs> money is always good in this. Uh, the website is Amara Enya, first name, last name, dot com. So folks can go there, check out more information. We're on all the social media platforms talking about the issues. Um, they can join in, volunteer, get involved. There's a there, You'll feel what this campaign is about if you get involved with this campaign. It's a lot different from all of the other campaigns that are out there. So we want people to come and see for themselves. I'm actually uh, looking for that domain, firstnamelastname.com. <laughs> if, ti- if you're tired of all these campaign directors dancing in your videos, come to Amara and do this <laughs> Thank you so much for being here and chopping it up with us. Thank you. And uh, we'll be back next week with another conversation showcasing and celebrating Chicagoans reshaping our culture. Much love to the people. Peace. So you're listening to Ergo, right? But you want Ergo and all your other podcasts to sound good. That's why you should be listening on Overcast. Overcast is a better podcast app than whatever you're using right now, unless it's Overcast. Get Overcast for free on the App Store.